And welcome to penpodcast.com with your co-host Nico Penn Gin of Pen for Hire NYC. Today we are joined by John David Mann, one of the you know best sellers uh for New York Times, four times and five national bestsellers. And his writings have been featured in American Executive, Financial Times, Forbes, Leadership <laughs> Excellence, Huffington Wired crime reads and many others welcome john thank you so much for being here today thank you nico i'm especially proud of the crime reads thing that last thing you said that was like my uh my my crowning glory i always wanted to be have an essay in crime reads and i and a mm. year ago i did and i got another one coming up pretty soon so i oh, I'm look at you pretty jazzed everything. about that yeah man and uh how how difficult has it been trying to get into something that you really want to get into <laughs> um, I've been doing it my whole life, so it, I, you know, it's difficult, but it's, wow. it's a challenge. It's, uh, you know, my career has, my life has been like a series of, of, of um, cascading careers in, in different mm -hmm. areas. I always seem to be, do, you know, jumping into something new. Is it difficult? Uh, I guess it is. It must be um, because I do like a challenge. And this has been, the books have been extraordinarily difficult mm -hmm. to write. Mm -hmm. But I will tell you this. To go from what I was doing, you know, what I've been doing my whole writing career, nonfiction mm -hmm. and business and leadership and memoirs of business leaders and political leaders and interesting mm -hmm. people. And to go from that sphere to writing crime fiction mm -hmm. was a difficult process for me, but the crime fiction world has made it easy. I mean, they're such lovely people. I, for years, I used to hear... Crime writers are the nicest people in the world. And I got, wait, it doesn't add up. How is that? People who spend their days dreaming up these ghoulish, grisly murders and terrible. No, it's it's actually true. Really, really, yes. really sweet people. So I've been, I feel very welcomed mm -hmm. in that world. Did you use that as like a motivation or an inspiration in order to keep fueling yourself, in order to keep going and 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 pushing yourself uh, to become the best writer possible, in order to gain access into that uh, crime reads? I, I I just do that anyway. That's just my mm. modus operandi. I, I really, I like mm. to, I have a very high standard in terms of, um, I, I don't want to write a parable. I want to mm. write a, a, a really, really compelling, excellent parable that changes a million people's lives. It's like, that's how I want to do writing. And yeah. that's what I want to do with a crime, with a crime novel. I don't, I just, I don't just want to write a whodunit. I want to write a novel that 50 years from now, people are reading it and saying, oh, I learned something. Wow. Um, you know, I want to write books that that matter, that make a difference. And um, so what I will say to your question is to have uh, praise and, 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 and you know, championing and support from people like Lee Child and Robert Crace and Brad Thor and these guys who are like to say they're they're the heroes of my craft is is almost you know too small <laughs> they're like giants right 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 but to have them be so welcoming and also to be so enthusiastic about about the books about the finn books it's a really nice uh it's a really nice kind of confirmation and that does certainly help you know it helps keep me going when when you know when writers write to me uh people mm -hmm. who want to write parables or, or whatever things that, I, that i've done i'm i always i'm always mindful of the kind of charge and energy and sustenance I get from my heroes, you know, saying, you're doing great. You knocked it out of the park. Robert Cray said, 
you guys hammered home a grand slam. And it's like, it was a tweet he sent me in. I've, I've lived off that, you know, that one line tweet for, for 12 months now. So I always want to do the same thing for, for starting writers. Now for, for those that don't know, how long have you been a published author? I, I spent a lot of years before that mm -hmm. in the writing world, largely as an editor, editing mm -hmm. other people's stuff. And, Interesting. Um, okay. Yeah, I did a lot of editing. Um, again, particularly in the business, nonfiction, leadership, personal development, in, in that sales, sales. For publication leadership. books? For uh, journals, mostly for magazines. Okay. And, okay. And, then, and then from there, leading into four books, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. leading from there into go helping other people get their books done, ghostwriting other mm -hmm. people's books. And then, you know, that finally led to co-authoring books and writing mm -hmm. books as a, as an outgrowth. It wasn't my plan. It just kind of developed that way. Once, you know what, you know what it is, Nico? It's like, once I got to where I am in terms of authoring books, mm -hmm. it's like, oh, this is what I always wanted to do. I didn't know that. I didn't. Interesting. I didn't, yeah. It's like my wife. This is the person I've always wanted to marry. I didn't know that until wow. I saw her. I didn't know that right. until we, until we became friends and we started talking and, I, and one day I'm like, oh my, this is like, I, I couldn't have planned this better. This is what writing books is like for me. This right. is what I've always wanted to do. I just never knew it. Wow, that's so cool. That's so cool. I understand that sensation entirely. Now, also, yeah. <clears throat> did you start writing at like a, a younger age, like in middle school, elementary school, or uh, did you start writing college years, 20s-ish? I have tremendous admiration for all these writers that I, I, you know, I love hearing writers talk about their careers. I always find it mm -hmm. so fascinating. And there's, there's so much variety. People have such right. different career paths. But I hear mm -hmm. a lot of writers talk about how, you know, when they were five years old, they were writing stories. <laughs> and Stephen King talks about his, you know, his little newspaper he started in, in high school. And, and then people talk about in college, you know, working on their first. Not me, man. I was like, <laughs> I am such a late bloomer, man. It's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. I am. I, um, I mean, I remember writing papers in school and writing little mm -hmm. stories in school, but but oh. no, no, no. I the the first book that um, is not literally the first book I wrote, but it, it was one of the first few books I wrote. It was the first book that went anywhere. Is the Go Giver, the, mm. the, the the parable, and that that book came out in two thousand eight. You know, that's like fourteen years ago. It hasn't been that long that I've actually been doing this, this publishing books thing. It's been a little over a decade. It's been 14 years, I guess. Oh, yeah, so no, man. I didn't, I didn't start young. No, I did not. <laughs> short, oh, short but, answer. Oh no, but, but even so that allows you to, to still have a veteran presence over those that uh, even did, because some people that started, let's say in like 2020, you have enough capability to explain to them. Like, as you mentioned earlier, that you know, people are starting to look up to you. You're starting to be their hero, essentially, yeah. because now you have a lot of success selling your books, as well as getting onto different newsletters, different journals, different websites um, on both ends of, of the floor on the fiction and the nonfiction side. Yeah. And also a lot of experience, you know, with with failure <laughs> and, and or let me say that better, a lot of experience in the trenches making my stuff better taking mm -hmm. the first first draft and doing a lot of work with it mm -hmm. um taking a book that didn't sell at first and then and then reworking it and reworking it and in some cases it never sold i've had a bunch of books that i've i've either written or written mm -hmm. part of 
um, that have never sold and, and probably never will. Um, and I've also had books that, that did, that, that sold, that published, that I'm very proud of and that I love dearly and that have devoted readers, just not very many devoted readers that have been, had not been huge commercial successes. And I've had books that have done really well. So I feel like I've had a lot of experience on all sides of the spectrum. The, um, you know, the tip of the iceberg, which is the successful stuff that, that, that people see, and then the whole iceberg underneath. Um, hey, and it's Mr. Matthew himself. I a surprise guest. I had no intention of being here. I, <laughs> I've been on a writing hiatus. I see. Uh, so I apologize for every and anything. But once I got the alert, we just finished baseball practice. Not going to say I'm a Yankee fan just because I'm from no. the Bronx. But my kids' team is the Yankees. We just won 10-0. And I walked in and I said, on, I am crashing this interview. So, <laughs> crashing this interview. For those of you who don't know, this is Matthew Harms. And this is Nico Penguins, Peng Penguins Associate. I knew I would not. And, uh, uh, you know, he's like an old friend. So it's really good to see you. It's really cool. Nico, I'm Matt, people. I'm literally going to let you guys jump right back to it. I am not here to steal anyone's thunder. I'm probably going <laughs> to a second. Um, but I'm here for a little bit till my 8.30 client call. I just wanted you to know, I appreciate you both. Mm -hmm. um, and I could not not be here. Yeah. Well, thank you for the connection to David Licken, by the way. That's really just certain. It's been enormously fruitful and wonderful for us. That is irony because David Licken is the client I'm meeting in 18 minutes. Well, please so say hello. Yes. My wife and I are on his podcast tomorrow. I mean, we're recording tomorrow. Wow, you tomorrow. can't make that up. Oh, my yeah. Lord. <laughs> so there's a, and there's a point to make here. There's a point to make here, which is a point you could learn in, you know, in, in any kind of uh, other setting than writing. But mm -hmm. so uh, Matthew, uh, Anna, my wife and I were on, were on this podcast with, with Matt being the, the guy in the chair. And afterwards, he, for no reason that was he was compelled to do, he just said, you know, you should talk to this other guy, this client that I have, just because I think the two of you would connect. And he connected us, and it's been an extraordinarily fruitful connection. You never know when you, when you do a podcast. You never know right. when you do an interview. You never know when you write a blog post, when you write an article, when you edit someone's book. You, you just never know. In my experience, in my life, all of the greatest things that have ever, ever happened to me came mm -hmm. from the side I didn't see coming. None mm. of them came from where I was looking. Oh my um, goodness! This career is that way. My wife, I mentioned, is that way. Um, oh really? Connection. Yeah, it's like I, I was not like hunting for this, this person. Wow! It just, it just happened. So yeah, just follow your, you know, follow your heart, and good things drop out of the sky. So, so, so do you focus on other stuff? Hold on, I'm gonna give you the forum back. Oh. I promise, Nico. I'm shutting up in 30 I'm seconds. Just, I'm just so interested in what he has to say. That. I get a lot of guests or people who want to be on the show and they ask for downloads and likes and all of this. Yes. And my answer is always, I don't even track it because I don't care. Yeah. My yeah. goal yeah. is to meet great people who have great messages and connect them to people who want to receive them. Yeah. And if the only thing 275 episodes of Pen Podcast has accomplished is yeah. connecting you with David Licken... My job is done. <laughs> this is the most notable one that you're vocalizing. That's that's what I live for. That's why I started this. That's that's I met Nico. Nico was a guest on my podcast. Correct. And I needed to expand. Ah. I needed help. And he yeah, was one of cool. who impressed me the most. That I oh, said, very I cool. Do this too. So 
With that said, people do not look at the immediate what's in it for you. When you look at what's in it for you, there's mm-hmm. never anything in it for you. Right. <laughs> how you can pay it forward mm-hmm. because it always comes back. So gentlemen, please continue. I'm going to hang out for a few minutes before David jumps in, uh, but I promise I will not interrupt you again unless someone asks me to. <laughs> You're a mentor, sir. John, you were saying that uh, you pretty much did a lot of things and you weren't intending to. Does that also mean uh, meeting or discussing with Brandon regarding starting this uh, partnership as well? Yeah, that's a great, what a fantastic segue too, because it's it's true. And I'm, I'm going to approach this from two sides. Mm-hmm. Um, people who know me well, I've heard both of these, both of these, these vectors converging on this, on the point of these novels. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them is for years, my wife, who's my, my, always my first reader mm-hmm. and my Ooh. best, and she's the first person who, who reads okay. anything I've done. And she's also, I think wow. my most, I consider my most valuable critical reader and also my biggest champion. She used to say to me, you would write great novels. Ooh. And I would, and I would say, I appreciate the vote of confidence. <laughs> and, and the subtext, in case you're not getting the, the, what that really means, is it means, yeah, I don't think so. Right. <laughs> so she would say, she, no, I think you you would write great novels. And I would say, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that vote of confidence. Like, nah, I would not. And then I would come to her. I would read some book. And I would come and I would say, i got to okay. tell you, this, this thing that this, this author did, it's amazing. She's phenomenal. She wove these two things. She created this incredible thing. Let me read you. Let me read a passage. And mm-hmm. she would go, wow, that is incredible. You could do that. You could do that. You could do that better. Wow. And I would say, uh, please don't say that. It's like, you know, it makes me uncomfortable. Right. This is when it's went on for years. So, mm. you know, uh, at back in 2009, a little, mm-hmm. little over a decade ago now, my agent put me and Brandon together. Brandon is, a, uh, for those who don't know, former Navy SEAL, former Navy mm-hmm. SEAL sniper, instructor. And uh, Brandon wanted to write a memoir. And he, 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 she said, you're, you're a good writer, Brandon, but you need you need to bring in the pros from Dover. You need, you need a guy to do this with you. So wow. she put us together. So I, with no military background, you know how they say, write what you know? Right. Great advice as far as it goes, but it can also be a safe thing to do to write what you know. I mean, okay. I know it worked for John Grisham and that's awesome. And I know it worked for you know a lot of people. They write from, from their career. That's great. Mm-hmm. But to write something, write about something that you don't know at all, that mm-hmm. you're a complete stranger to, mm-hmm. it's just, it's a thrilling process. And that was writing with Brandon, writing his memoir was a thrilling process because I didn't know anything about the military. I right. didn't know anything about the Navy. I didn't know how they talk, how they walk, how they think, mm-hmm. how they eat, how they interact, let alone what they do in the battlefield. Mm-hmm. And so because I had to learn it all from the ground up, I was never at risk of talking down to my readers because I was learning it along with them. Right. And so I I had to be able to understand something in the military well enough so I could put it in plain words so that I got it. Consequently, anybody could read that book, even if they Mm -hmm. hadn't knew nothing about the military and they would get it all because they were on the same road I was on. So anyway, we had a blast with that book. And one of the first conversations we said, Brandon said, would you ever be interested in writing in writing a novel together? And I went, oh, inside I clenched and, and every cell in my body is saying, no, 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 no run away. And so, of course, I said, totally, man, I'm in. Yeah, you, you name it. You name your place. And, and so the deal was sealed in 2009. It took us a decade before we, we both had sort of the time and the, and the professional space to, to get together and write it. And that became last year's. Steel well, go back. He said, 
it took 2009. Guys, it took you guys 10 years to do what? 10 years to be able to carve out the time and space to, to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, we wrote a bunch of other nonfiction books, a bunch of mm-hmm. other memoirs and some books on, on mastering your fears and so forth. But finally, 10 years later, we, we, we did it. We, we sat down and that was my first novel. And um, my wife felt vindicated. I wrote novels and now you couldn't stop me. You couldn't pry me off of these things with, you know, with a crowbar. The first novel came out last year, Steel Fear. I dedicated it to my wife uh, for telling me for decades that I should write novels. Right. She kept telling me until I believed it too. Mm -hmm. And then the sequel is the book we're here to talk about tonight called Fear sequel coming out in, uh, you know, beginning of June. And so that I owe it to, or I could say I blame uh, Brandon and my wife together. And that's actually a pretty cool, cool cover that you actually have there. I love the color scheme. I love when color uh, when covers just like pull you in and and just make it so intriguing. Like you know the the green popping out, the blue, you know the big the big wording shouting out your own names and you know giving you guys that that expertise because you are a New York Times bestseller as well. Just, you know, making sure that it's continuing the great book that you did prior to. Well, I give, you know, it's I give our publisher enormous credit, you know, both mm-hmm. the, the, the cover design for the first book and for this book and also the interior design. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's subtle stuff, but it's it's really it's great to have a team, you know, like that working with you. Do you ever feel vindicated sometimes when you're, you're like, man, I should have done this a little bit mm-hmm. sooner? My wife was 100 percent right. Always. Totally. However, I've had I've had created a, a sort of operating philosophy for myself a long time ago, which mm-hmm. is re- resist regret. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't allow myself regrets. If I started down the down the road of regrets, I could I could go down forever. All the things that I wish I could go back and have done Same. differently. Same. Nah, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. It's like it, it, it's a road to nowhere. So do I wish I'd done it earlier? The truth is, I didn't do it earlier. I did, I did this now, and here it is, and it's, it, everything is the yeah. way it should be. I am thrilled that I'm doing it now. Is basically what it is. And then when you when you get your feedback from like editors or yes. uh, your beta readers, and it's actually positive, do you ever think like, wow, like now I have more than just my wife and more than just Brandon letting me know that this is actually pretty good? When I hear from my beta readers and beta readers who, who say, this is great. We love this. We love this. We love this. I kind of like, yeah, I'm reading through that until I get to the one that says, okay, here's what doesn't work for me. <laughs> and, and my editors come back when my editor, I, well, here, let me back up a second, Nico, because that's a really actually a great question. Let me back mm-hmm. up and say this steel fear. The first novel, it, it really worked. It just clicked. There were so many things going into that story that really worked. Mm-hmm. People would just hear the premise, a disgraced Navy seal, stalks a serial killer on board an aircraft carrier in the mm-hmm. middle of the Pacific Ocean. People just hear that pitch and go, oh, God, I got to read that book. Right. It's almost like the book could not fail. So the book, the challenge for me was, what do you do for a sequel? Mm-hmm. And I find that enormously challenging, enormously intimidating. I started work on Cold Fear. I, I, I My biggest challenge was my own insecurity about that it's like well what are we gonna what if it isn't as good as the first book what if people don't like it as much as the first book what if it isn't as engaging as the first book i so i will say that when our editor got back the first draft mm-hmm. she, she wrote me and said this is i'm blown away that was a that was a relief it was good to hear hey, however sure. however that said mm-hmm. what's what's 
really what my spidey sense is all tuned into is the uh -oh. stuff that comes next when she says, okay, he, he, there are some things I think don't quite work the way they are. Mm -hmm. And that's been such a fascinating journey for me because here I am 30 books later with some critical acclaim. And you'd think that I'd be like pretty impervious by now. Right. And the editor comes back and says, here's a few things that don't work. And my first reaction is like, no, no, right. Right. Can't, that can't be true. <laughs> You're wrong. Right. Right. And, and it's just like, oh, just stab me in the heart with a knife a hundred times. <laughs> so what happens and this, I, to me, it's such a valuable process. Mm -hmm. um, uh, what happens is I go like, I let myself have those feelings. I let myself have the have the feeling of complete defensiveness and woundedness and that infant's like, no, no, it's my toy. Gimme, gimme, gimme. The way I wrote it is the best way. There's no improving this. Your ideas are terrible and you stink. You know, go with that. Let myself, but in my brain, in my intellectual uh, uh, tucked away capabilities, you know, part of me is whispering, you know, she's probably right. <laughs> You know, she's probably right. And I do. I know it in some part of my brain that she's probably right, but I can't see it. I can't let it in. I can't feel it. Right. And so I, I will say I, I need some time. <laughs> and I do. I need a couple of days at least. Usually I take like three, four or five days. Mm -hmm. And then I'm just, I'm kind of rolling her thoughts around and, and, you know, in steel fear when we got back first editor comments. Do you we bounce up, anybody, by the way, when you're my when wife, you're... my oh, wife. Okay. Yeah, my oh. wife, and she's great with this. Um, but but it but it takes me usually a few days before I can even vocalize it to her. I'm just in it myself. No, I understand oh. that. I understand. It hurts. It's painful. That's like your baby. It's so like an insult too. At the it same is. time, it's like it oh, is. They're insulting your intelligence and whatnot. And it's like, oh. and you know what? It should be that way. That's right. the way it should be. Because right. if you didn't feel that way, if you didn't mm -hmm. care that much about what you wrote, why are you writing it? Exactly. You should feel that way. Right, you should right. feel wounded. And so this is all good and normal. It's just that I have to, like what I'm doing, I'm looking for, she's probably right. Can I see it? Can I, can I get it to the level where, and I'll, I'll finally like throw her ideas around. Well, what if we did like half of what she says? Or what if we did what she says a little bit? She's saying we should just totally lose this character. Well, what if we make the character a little bit less or just change their, you know, some quality? You know, what if I, you know, what if I can bargain with the stuff that she said? Exactly. And right. eventually I get to the point where I go, God, I just saw it. I just got it. Exactly. If I do what she just said, it'll make the book better. Exactly. It makes a better book. And it does. And it does. I have a great editor. I've had a lot of great editors that I just adore because they can see something I can't see about what I'm doing. Yes. And so, uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a painful process, but it's also a really thrilling process because in the process, the damn story gets better. <laughs> and mm -hmm. I'm so grateful for it now because there's stuff in cold fear that mm -hmm. I just think is is killer, if you'll excuse the expression. <laughs> that wasn't that, that weren't there that wasn't there weren't there when I, in the first draft so thank you for listening to the penpodcast.com produced by pen for hire social media isn't about simply posting links to your book multiple times on a day on every platform you can think of it is a complex process that takes time and strategy as well as content and purpose Creating and managing social media campaigns can feel like a full-time job, especially if you don't already love doing it. 
Don't wait until your book is done to think about how to tell the world about it. Visit our website at www.penforhirenyc.com to get your free consultation today. And now back to the interview. Now, in regards, in regards to the process, what is your favorite part of, you know, creating the character of Finn to life? Like, do you have somebody particular in mind when you're writing about him or, or is he inspired by somebody? How do you, how do you find the joy of, of writing about him? Well, that's a great question because I know that, you know, there's teachers that I admire and that I've studied with who say for a novel, before you start the novel, sit down and sketch out your character and just spend time mm-hmm. in your character's shoes, get in their skin, mm-hmm. ask yourself, you know, 20 questions, 50 questions, 100 questions. You know, where did they go to school? Who was their favorite teacher? What was their first, the first time they, they, they ever had their pride hurt? You know, what's their favorite flavor? What, what movie do they hate? What movie do they love? Ask all these questions. And come up with the answers and just get to know this character like you know yourself. I tried. I can't really do that. It doesn't, <laughs> it, it doesn't, I tried it with Finn and I tried it with a few other characters in Steel of Fear. And I did, I, I got somewhere. I started to flesh out a little bit. What, so what happens for me is I start out with a situation and I got a couple of characters that I know are in play and I don't know that much about them. So they're kind of two-dimensional you know, stand in mm-hmm. cardboard models of characters at this point. And then I start developing the story, developing the plot and seeing the situation and say, well, you know, he's looking for something. How does he go about looking for it? And she is trying to find him. How does she go about looking for him? And he is going to be shocked when he discovers something. What is that something? I don't even know. So I start asking questions and playing with the story. And as the story develops, mm-hmm. the characters start to come to life. And I start, and I, st- and I'll just be out walking the dog, and I'll suddenly go, "Oh, you know what? I just realized something about her. I just realized something about him." I'll start just getting little glimpses of how this character reacts in this situation, mm-hmm. and then I'll get to a point where I'll sit down and I'll just one morning I'll just sit down on my computer and just start, and I'll go for a page um, of stuff that has just kind of come up. But it's a weird for me. It's kind of a weird process where it's it's a going back and forth between my situation, my story, drafting it and kind of asking myself questions and story developing and then suddenly having characters come to life and then taking the character and asking myself questions about them and then fleshing out the profile and then putting the profile back in the story and seeing how does it act. And you kind of go back and forth and in the process, which is messy and is not linear, it's very (laughs) circular and feels almost inefficient. Almost infinite. Yeah, in the process, it starts to feel like this is, this is real. I remember, I remember there, there's their characters where I remember the moment they came to life for me on the page. Mm. And it's funny when, when steel fear was maybe a week, maybe 10 days away from the drop dead deadline where it had to be in. Mm-hmm. So they could, they could start doing copy editing and blah, blah, the production had to happen. And this is like, I couldn't, I couldn't miss this deadline. Right. The editor came back and said, there's this one character that still just isn't working for me. It was a secondary character, a small character, but, but an important one. And this character is just like, feels a little bit like a caricature. Like you're just, it's kind of like a cartoon character of, of who this person would be. And I realized that she, she was absolutely right. And I kicked that character out. I just lost them all together and brought in a brand new character. Um, and so, you know, it happens at all stages of the process, early and, and late, where suddenly, you know, 
a character bursts to life. It's it's and that's a thrilling process for me. And so in that moment where where the issue is that it's not fitting, you you you're capable of understanding what the solution requires because earlier you were saying that you know you'd like to think about what the situation calls for so you know that it needs like a different kind of character in order to make yeah. that scene or that situation or the story continue right. to play out as you want it to so part of it is you know part of it is like you know in procedurals you have your detective who's like tracking clues that's me writing the book in a in a way the process of writing a book like this and even a short a shorter book a parable like the go-giver Mm -hmm. um, it feel I feel a little bit like a detective searching for clues because I know there's a book in there and I don't really know what it is. Mm -hmm. I just know that it's there and I know that. And so I start looking for clues and that's really what, you know, kind of what we're talking about. I wade into the situation in, you know, in the first book's case, the situation was the, the, this seal drops in, onto an aircraft carrier. Nobody knows why he's there. He's not even sure why he's there. In the new book, the situation is Finn, my, my seal with memory issues and a traumatic past. My seal has uh, taken himself, dropped himself in the middle of Iceland in the week between Christmas and New Year's. So Iceland in the middle of winter, you know, right at the, at the, the, uh, right near the lip of the arctic circle this is this is why it's called cold cold fear right near freezing everything everything freezing everything finn is looking for for three guys and as he as he steps under the scene a mm -hmm. woman uh mysteriously drowns herself in a pond in the corner of a, the one unfrozen corner of a pond in the middle of downtown Reykjavik, and nobody knows why and also, nobody has any idea what does she have to do with with Finn. And also, as I'm starting to write this book, I have no idea what does she have to do with Finn. All I knew was I knew I wanted to start with this woman running through the street and then drowning herself in this pond. I mm -hmm. wanted to start with a drowning, and I wanted there to be an attempt to to survive a drowning mm -hmm. near the end end of the book. I wanted the book to be framed by these two drowning scenes. I didn't know why, and I didn't know what it meant. So a lot of the process of writing the book was not only discovering who the characters are, but also discovering what the hell's going on. Like, what, what is the situation here? What, why did she drown? What is he looking for? Why does he need to find the music guys? And, and it, is, it is, you know, there are certain things as an author that you figure out early on and that you know are going to happen at the end and that you hold off telling the reader so they'll have the fun of finding it. But there are also things that are a mystery to me as I'm writing it. And that to me is one of the great joys of writing crime fiction is you you get i'm the first reader trying to figure it out interesting interesting now now who dictates how the story goes is it is it the characters or is it you it's um it's it's mostly me i won't lie it's mostly me and i and i brainstorm this with brandon since there are two of us i do most of the, the hands-on writing writing mm -hmm. um uh, Brandon is, you know, and, and one would assume that what Brandon contributes is his military background and lend authenticity. And that's true to a degree. But what he really contributes is actually something quite different. What Brandon really contributes is he's, he's got this. Um, and I think this is a trait that's common to many SEALs. It's a SEAL. SEALs aren't big, brawny, athletic, you know, muscle men. SEALs are have have a certain kind of athletic have sort of intellectual athletic prowess mm -hmm. it's a mindset you know, seals right. have a, ha, seals are are disciplined disciplined and also 
they're problem solvers. They, they are trained to be, when necessary, an army of one. Uh, one of the traits of a SEAL- Human engineers. Is there, yeah, they're like human engineers. They're, wow. they're, in, they're ingenious at working on solutions to problems. And Brandon is, is, is a cool, cool partner to brainstorm plot issues. And so that's, that's the biggest part of, what, of how we interact is I, I'll, I'll go to him and say, you know, we brainstorm the, the, the setting. The starting situation is we collaborate on. And then I'll start to develop the setting, the situation. And I'll go to him and say, dude, this happens and this happens. I have no idea why. And how would this happen? And what would that? And, he, and he'll start to, to brainstorm on that. Um, so I, I forgot your original question. But if you, oh, you, you said, who dictates the outcome? Is it, is it me or the characters? Yes. It's mostly me. Mm -hmm. But what will happen is sometimes I'll be, this happens like two or three times in a, in a book in a big way. Mm -hmm. I'll be going along in the story, kind of fleshing out what I've already planned. And all of a sudden, this idea will come smacking at me out of the blue that this character suddenly does something that to me seems completely out of character. But the moment I, 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 I get it, I know it's, I know it's right. I know it's like... I got to do this, but it, it makes no sense. This happened to me several times um, mm -hmm. in, in the, I'm working on the third book right now, but it happened to me in the middle of cold fear when um, uh, Finn has fi finally gets two of these three seals and he's basically interrogating them mm -hmm. about, about who killed his best friend or his Lieutenant who, if Finn had such a thing as friends, this guy, this guy would have been his best friend. Right. And, and, the answer the guy comes up with knocked me out of my chair. I was actually sitting at my desk, frustrated early one morning, and I didn't know what to do with the story. I didn't know how the scene was supposed to end. And I got up, I started folding laundry. And I was folding t-shirts. And all of a sudden, I went, <gasps> I dropped the shirt and went, oh, my God. What? The, he suddenly, he, he blurts out this. And I go, oh, that makes no sense. But it's what he blurts out. Right. And it's and it it took the whole plot of the book and went <laughs> and it's like the, the book wouldn't be the book without that. But I so okay. did not see it coming. And and that that will happen. It just happened yesterday morning. I was going walking my dog down the street and mm -hmm. I was dealing with a scene in the beginning of this third book, which which is not yet written. And I suddenly went oh, at the very end. This mm -hmm. happens. This character does something that I completely did not expect. And that the reader, I promise you, will not expect because I didn't. Right. And, and it's it's like it's what we got to do. Now I got to reverse engineer and figure out how to make it make sense. <laughs> so that's where I'm going to jump in. That is a perfect segue, John David Mann. Yes. I have working in the waiting room, and I'm back. And I said I wasn't going to interrupt until, but that was the moment where you set me up, and we're going to give this back to you after. I promise. But. What you just said about the collaborative writing process is so incredible. I'm going to bring David on. Hold on. And then I'll finish my thought. But let me bring David into the stream. David Licken, welcome to the podcast. It's good to be David. here. Good evening. Good to see you, David, man. man yeah, job. likewise. Long, long time. Yeah, we're recording, we're recording a podcast tomorrow. So yeah. <laughs> we'll figure the six degrees of separation, but what J I'm going to call John David Mann, JDM going forward. Mm -hmm. So I don't think you is good deal. Clicking. Um, that is exactly it. David and I started working 
months ago on his book and we did not have that what john what you jdm what you just described yes that wasn't it we had a concept we had a direction and we worked out content and then it was no we're going in this specific direction and we were quasi there but david correct me if i'm wrong i think once we both started looking at the go-giver it was very much a this would be mm. more relatable in mm. a parable style yeah it was a combination of your book uh your books john the go-giver series yes. and uh, then of course patrick lencioni also writes in the same style so is the it was a combination of the two of you and how your yeah. ability to tell a story and weave in the principles that you want to share with that. Uh, my favorite one, of course, is The Go-Giver Marriage, your most recent book. I just am such a raving fan of it. Yeah. And I'm telling everybody <laughs> about that. But it's, and you weave in the principles so wonderfully without, you know, teaching, preaching them. They're just there. And then as you get to the, the more of, of the, the instructional manual of how to apply those, yes. you, you relate it to the story. So all of a sudden your heart's open. You can relate it to what the story is, which you do such an amazing job of writing. Oh, thank and you. Looking in. And so I, I just, I love the style and uh, uh, whatever I write will be, will always, you'll be always given the credit for that. Uh, oh. you, you and Patrick oh. Lentioni will be uh, just, uh, but I love how, how you do it in teaching in the principles at the end. And it's really what? wonderful. Let me let me share something about that. Um, then, and thank you. So, it's so kind of you, and I, I greatly appreciate that. So, it, it, it's interesting because when when Bob and I wrote the Go Giver, um, um, you know, there's five laws. They call the five laws of stratospheric success. We call them in the Go Giver, and the five principles, core principles of the book. When we wrote that book, we did not first figure out we had these five principles, and then set about saying, well, now how can we make a story out of that? Uh -uh, that's not what happened. What happened was we had this general idea that the idea being, you know, when you focus on how can I give value to other people, focus on other people in terms of how you can, can, can improve their lives, it comes back to you manifold, right? The, the, the idea as old as, as old as the Bible, as old as the hills, as old as humanity's wisdom. But we didn't have five laws. What happened was in the course of writing the, uh, the, the story of, of letting the characters go where they go and do what they do, it kind of, the the spirit of the book and the the sort of the philosophy underlying the book coalesced in the form of these principles mm -hmm. and and i say that because you take a book like we were just talking about my my thrillers the novels mm -hmm. you know the first one was called steel fear and yes it is a book about a navy seal pursuing a serial killer but it's also a parable about leadership and my the uh, Nico, we were talking about crime reads, right? The, period, the, the the article that I got in crime reads was, uh, oh no, I'm sorry, I got it, it was in some other publication I had it. So scratch the crime reads thing. Anyway, I, I published an article around them called um, "A Leadership Parable Disguised as a Crime Novel," mm -hmm. and it is. It's a book about leadership. Cold fear turns out to be a book about friendship, mm. and and I didn't know. But that's what this was going to be when I started writing it. All oh. I knew was that now Finn is in Iceland and he's tracking down these three guys and there's this woman who died and there's this terrible, you know, international global plot and blah, blah, blah. But what happens is as you, this goes back to, to your, your question, Nico, you know, as you're, mm -hmm. as you're letting these characters come to life in the page, mm -hmm. 
and David, you talked about opening your heart. You know, you have to open your heart to these characters. You really do. Here's the secret. They're just you. That's all they are. <laughs> a different <laughs> version you. of you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you have to open up your heart to these characters. And as they come to life in the page, and as the story starts to, to develop in ways that feel authentic and true, Mm -hmm. And you'll have you'll have drafts of, of chapters that feel phony and fake and tawdry and, and, and shallow. And so you either toss them or you poke at them until they actually come to life mm -hmm. and start to feel deeper and more authentic and true. As you do all that, you realize that the, the things that really matter to you most start showing up. Interesting. Steve, Stephen King wrote that um, talking about this often highfalutin thing of theme, you know, people ask me, what about theme? It says, mm -hmm. I write a first draft without thinking about theme at all. And then I'm going through it as a reader, looking through the first draft to make the second draft. And I start noticing that I've, I've hit on certain themes again and again and again, and I'll do work to bring them out a little bit more. I find that to be so. As I'm developing a story, I'll go, I'll suddenly go, and this happened to me with cold fear, I suddenly realized I'm writing about friendship. I'm writing about friendship and betrayal. I didn't set out to do that, but right. that's kind of what's that's what's showing up. And I, I I love it when that happens. For me, it's like when that starts happening, it's working. The writing is taking over. And it's you know, it's it's showing you what matters to you, what's important to you. I think and, what's so fascinating about that, John, if I can I've often said I know I'm pregnant with at least three books. And, <laughs> and you start looking at that as a metaphor. You're what you're just talking about here is when you start gestating, gestating a book, when you start writing it, it's like yeah. week one, week two, week three. You don't know it's a male or female. You don't know, you know, all, you know, all the attributes of this thing that you're going to birth until you get to uh, the day. And uh, you sonogram it and you get a lot of now we have technology. But right. I think this is a principle that I am mm -hmm. learning as a fledgingly uh, writer, yeah. writer. I'm working with Matt. <laughs> he does the magic work. I come up with the crazy ideas on it. But I really think you're this is something I just want to interject that on the uh, being a, a brand new writer and joining the process of which, John, you have um, ad, uh, inspired me in so many ways on. And I, I think there there may be a principle, and I want, I'd love to get your thoughts on that as a, I love it. a metaphor. I love it. I think, I think it's it's really really wonderful because you, you'll see frequently the debate. There's a debate in writer circles about you know writing with an outline or just going from they call them pantsers, going from the seat right, of the pants. Right, right. And the, I, I've seen frequently two famous writers on stage, one on holding each position, you know, and. Um, I don't know. What I find is, I, I suspect that the argument is spurious and 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 is a bit specious, and and it, it it's somewhat for show. Maybe not. I don't know. But for me, it's always both, and it goes back and forth. And what I mean by that is, I I I'm a structure guy. I love structure, mm -hmm. and I love outlines. But the outline doesn't tell the story. Um, mm -hmm. I, I have an outline, but it it emerges out of writing. I'll work on the story. I start with a situation. Which is sort of like the 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 impregnation of this of this new it's the it's the conception of this new idea. I don't even, as you say, no boy or girl, you know, uh, human. We hope we don't know. Uh, you know what's going on. Uh, and then as the story develop starts to develop limbs and digit starts to show up, then I'll make an outline that that sort of shows what it is I'm writing. 
And then I'll mess with the outline a little bit. And I'll say, Wait, huh, the outline you know, is what you already did? The outline is what I'm in the middle of doing. So Ooh. I develop the outline out of, out of, out of first formless thoughts. Mm -hmm. And then I have the outline here. I'll, uh, and as the outline grows, I, you know, maybe on the outline, I'll say, oh, you know what would be interesting if this happened earlier. And so then I'll go back to my draft and I'll take that big chunk of this and I'll move it pages earlier. And then I'll be on the draft and I'll, and I'll start seeing, oh, this character does this and we do this and we do this and we do this. And this is now changed. I'll go back and change the outline so that it fits what just happened. Mm -hmm. So that by the end of writing the book, I have an outline that absolutely accurately describes what just happened. Interesting. And while I'm writing it, I'm always aware of the outline, but which, which one tells the, it's back and forth for me. I like to have, it's kind of the 20,000 foot view and the, at the ground level view. Ooh, great. I enough. go back and forth. I need to jump here in here and echo with JDM just said, yes, yes. And yes, yeah. My David will tell you, we start at this level of, hey, these are our containers. Every mm -hmm. outlet yes. is a container. Yeah. This is where we're going to organize our data, our our information, our story, like chronological, whatever we think it is. Mm -hmm. That's not necessarily what it's going to be. That is where we start, right? Mm -hmm. and, and David, you can speak to this. This is yeah. where we've gone. We yeah. had a whole direction that was all business principles and, and whatever. And I was coaching him toward that direction. Mm -hmm. And then it became, no, I want it to be a more relatable, understandable, digestible story. Right. And that's yeah. where we brought up your name, JDM. Yeah. And it became a, how do we incorporate the principles of the go-givers yes. into these yeah. complex leadership principles? And they just tie together so wonderfully mm -hmm. because people don't want to be preached to. This is yeah. what I've learned. I've, I've written over 15 books for people. They yeah. don't want to be told what to do. They don't want to be told how to do it. Yes, they, they want to be inspired. They want to be inspired. I think it's, it speaks to the heart. It's an inspirational thing. And yeah. I think when like in the, the, the book, The Go-Giver Marriage, they john and his wife precious wife oh dear god anna is such amazing yeah um, they do such a great job of weaving in a story that touches your heart and the way they're bringing in the various characters almost draws in the whole population without anyone knowing it i mean there's all the different elements of personalities that are represented there and it is just so masterfully done and mm -hmm. you're hooked in the story and you look at it, it's very much of a biblical proverb. And, you know, um, you follow Jesus, or you don't follow Jesus. You look at it. He used a parable and then he pulled his disciples aside afterwards and then taught them the principles. It's like your book, uh, JDM. <laughs> follow that. I, uh, <laughs> it, it is following your book. You tell a story. It's a parable. And then you pull your listeners aside, almost like they're, they're, they're disciples. They're almost like, okay. Now, for you that want to read what really is behind this, these are the principles that are embodied in that parable. And I yeah. love that. Sound. And I think people's hearts and minds are more open at that point. So mm -hmm. uh, it's it's the path I'm going to go down, I believe, on all of my books, inspired by you again. I'm just, trying to put, I'm just putting myself in the minds of people watching this right now and going, Wait, wait sir, there's a there's a seal and there's a serial killer and wait it's it marriage is wait, wait, wait. <laughs> sorry guys we're wide ranging here what can I tell you you, just, you have to stay with the program follow follow the players 
You sound by segmented by minute, but hey, yeah. I, I, I could suggest that that's all embodied in one in a marriage anyway. Whether it be all aspects, everything, everyone has I'm been married for a amount of time as has thought about <laughs> being a serial murderer at some point in time, depending on how that's gone. But people have asked me actually, you know, isn't it weird going from these you know feel good books about how to live yeah. you know live this life to to you know writing about grisly murders and horrible things? And you know, it it it's. It's weird only in the sense that it looks a little weird. It's, it is kind of a, a change of gears, but not really, not really, because what you're really doing, at least for me, mm -hmm. what you're really doing is you're, is you're writing, you're writing the hero's journey. I mean, you're writing a book about the human condition. To me, what is, and actually, uh, Nico, the, the, the real article in the Crime Reads <laughs> was, was about, uh, the title of it was, what's a nice guy like me doing in a homicidal place like this? And Ooh, the, that's a the, nice the, title. The thrust of the article was, you know, I've always written these uplifting uh, uh, books and articles and teachings. And as a, as a speaker, it's what I've always taught about is mm -hmm. ways that uplift us and, and help us lead a, you know, a, a noble life, a fulfilling life, a rich life. And so, you know, what am I doing writing about grisly murders? And, and it, it's, you know, for me, there is a redemption there is a, a the, the nobility of someone like Finn, someone who's who suffered greatly, someone who mm -hmm. is still suffering greatly, mm -hmm. um, thrust into an extraordinarily difficult situation and not only finding his way out of it, but feeling compelled to lift up others in the, in, at the same time and help them out of it. Um, you know, it's, it, it's, it is a different kind of uplifting narrative. It is a different kind of parable, and I'll say it again. It's a parable disguised disguised as a crime novel. Um, that for me is, you know, that for me is 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 sort of the payoff of writing a book like this. So, John, before I exit and I take David with me, I'll, I'll yes. give it a chance to say anything else. But I agree with you. I think every piece of writing, if it's written strictly to write, and there's no underlying meaning. There's no emotion you're trying to convey. There's there's nothing. It's superficial. It's just words. Mm -hmm. Technique. You may do well on your first one. Maybe most likely you won't, but maybe you do. Maybe you hype yeah, it up. So. But the writers who excel from my professional standpoint, yeah. they do that. There's something where every person can look at it. I I literally I will share it with the audience. I downloaded Animal Farm in 1984 on Audible two weeks ago. I already finished Animal Farm, and I'm about a third of the way through 1984. Because yeah, yeah. the times that we are living in right now mm -hmm. scare the ever-living Jesus out of me. And I think <laughs> you need to realize that authors' takes and things that maybe people are afraid to say in a public forum, yeah. when they fictionalize them, when they parabolize them, that may not be a word, but I'm coining it if it isn't. Right, when right. They do this. This is their way of telling the world. Interesting. I see something that I'm not comfortable telling you outright. As a book should. And there is lessons to be learned. I mean, I thought I knew 1984. I'm three hours into a 12-hour. So and it's my mind is blown. I, I'm literally like. How did we not see this? Exactly. And I yeah. thought I knew this. I've read it so, twice. I understand. Yeah. yeah. 
I appreciate what you do, JDM. Mm. Uh, keep doing it. I want to keep you in the pen podcast, pen for hire community. You are an amazing friend, resource contributor. Uh, I swear with that, I am done. I'm going to leave you, Nico, <laughs> for any closing remarks. And then, David, when you're done, I will be in our Zoom room so we can go to our meeting. Oh, but I don't want to cut anyone else short. I'm just going to exit camera because otherwise I'll jump in and say something. Ah. <laughs> All I need to say, I love you guys. I appreciate the messages of truth and the ways to express it. This is why we started this podcast. And I love you all. And I am so grateful for you jumping on and being a part of it. It's right on, man. Thank you for tuning in to the Pen Podcast, produced by Pen for Hire. Do you struggle with finding affordable and reliable proofreaders? Are you tired of the AI software that doesn't always understand human language? Pen for Hire has an extensive network of professionals we can refer you to to help. Visit our website at www.penforhirenyc.com to get your free consultation today. And now back to the interview. That's such a joy. Yeah, I'll just add this. Uh, I'm a, a, a trained musician. So um, when it, I, you can play, you can play I, I'm a vocal major. Uh, so uh, I, I have all the music theory and all that. But you can play or sing something technically perfect. Mm -hmm. And then you can sing it with a true artistic expression from a place of pain. Jazz is one of those things that there's so much expression. Mm -hmm. John David Mann writes as a masterful jazz musician. It just, it's just something comes out and it moves your soul. And so that's what I love about it. I'm enjoying it. I'm so glad. And I, I want to thank you all for introducing me to JDM or John David Mann. So looking forward to our interview tomorrow, John. Thank you. <laughs> so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'll talk. I'll head out of here. Thank you. If I can no. figure out how to do it. There he goes. Okay. Leave studio. Got it. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> that was too much. Here we are. It's just us. <laughs> just us guys. The thing you trade is because, you know, you're doing something right. The, you know, your writing process is, is very intriguing. And I was also interested in knowing how uh, Brandon's uh, SOF rep media company uh was used as an intel platform to have you know to help guide uh plot you you know or help yeah. guide your plot in the novels yeah it's interesting because the, the you know the first the first book steel fear clearly had a, a military context because this is a naval aircraft carrier right i mean it's, it's everybody on board is in the navy so it's obviously a mere, uh, military context um the second book is not and the books really aren't fundamental, fundamentally military books. Mm. Um, there, even though Finn is is an active duty Navy SEAL now, by book two, he's an AWOL, or they call, the Navy they call it UA, unauthorized absence. He's a, he's a, so he's a a criminally absent Navy SEAL, but he's still active criminally, duty. They give, they give him well. I mean, you're not supposed to go AWOL, man. That's not cool. That I mean, what if, legal. what if something happens to you? You got. It's criminal. Oh no, man! He's like he's he's on the run. He's a fugitive oh, from the law. Oh. Is what's going on? Also, yeah. he's not on the. Yeah. He's, oh, oh, interesting. Yeah. So, it, it, so he's in a he's point is that he's in a totally civilian environment, and really the books are not are not military books fundamentally, but um, but there is a sort of international foreign not foreign policy but international affairs mm -hmm. uh, slant um, to to the second book, certainly, and as there will be to the third book, 
Um, and that is informed to some extent by Brandon's company. Brandon run, runs this media company called SOFREP, um, S-O-F-R-E-P. It means Special Operations Forces Report. Interesting. Um, it's acronym they just invented, but it's a SOFREP. You know, a SITREP is a situation report, situation report, SITREP. Give me a SITREP, so they say yeah. in the military. Well, this is SOFREP. And it started out as, a, as just a media company blog about Special Operations Forces, so SEALs and Green Berets and, and so on and so forth, uh, MARSOC and... But it's it's broadened to become really a, a media company about foreign policy and international affairs broadly, right. military particularly, but but just foreign affairs broadly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that his perspective and the huge network of friends and sources that he has around the world mm-hmm. um, are are an awesome resource. And but there are, honestly, our imagination is an even bigger resource. Um, you know, Donald Westlake, who was one of, one of those prolific crime authors, a wonderful, wonderful man. He created the character Starker and uh, uh, Parker, mm-hmm. I mean, Parker. Um, and, and he writes these remarkable novels. He wrote something like 100 novels. No one knows exactly how many uh, in, in all kinds of circumstances, all kinds of settings, mm-hmm. you know, in financial and political and all kinds of things. And somebody once asked him, it was Laura Lippman once asked him, how do you write about subjects that you really don't know about with such authority? Uh, how do you research these? How do you learn all this stuff? You know, to, and he, his answer was, I think if you really think about the situation and the characters that you've come up with, mm-hmm. you'll, you'll get it right. And I love it because, you know, one of the things that's really been pleasing to me in some of the reviews of the books, we're starting to get reviews of Cold Fear now, early reviews, and several of the reviewers have pointed out the the Icelandic detective Krista Christiansdottir, who's a woman, and um, like Monica Halsey in the first book, people have really singled out my my female characters for praise, and I love that because, you know, somebody will say, well, how do you write a woman so authentically? Mm-hmm. you know, like not being one. <laughs> and, you know, I'm not anything. I'm not anybody but me. It's like, I'm not a, 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 a military person. I'm not a paraplegic. I'm not a downhill skier. I'm not a surgeon. You know why I think though? It's because it's, just, you're a blank canvas. You have, you have, you're like at ground zero. So when, you know, you get that perspective from that person, you're able to immediately understand it because you don't have an, anti, you don't have an, a bias against what they're telling you. So you can immediately believe them like, oh, that's how it is in the military. Okay. Now I understand. And you can immediately adapt that to your material. And there's a quality, which I think is really important. I've never been a stage actor or a film actor, but I am imagining that this would be something that that you'd easily say if you were a, a super accomplished film actor or stage actor. Mm-hmm. Um, I think as a writer stepping into a character like my Krista, the 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 Icelandic detective, mm-hmm. and getting her right so that every word she says rings true and that the whole the character feels authentic all the way through and complex. Mm-hmm. Stepping into that character, it, it what it takes is not so much knowledge as empathy. You have to have, it's like if you can sit and listen to a person talking and be empathetic mm-hmm. so that rather than sitting there and analyzing what they're saying, you're getting it. You're like, you're feeling it. Mm-hmm. You, you have to have empathy as I think as a person 
um, to be able to write characters that, that are different than yourself, which is basically every character, really. Right. Unless, right, unless right. you're just writing your own autobiography, disguised autobiography. Right. And, why, and what, of what interest is that? Um, so I'm, yeah, I'm really, really, really happy about that. And that's, that's you know, one, of, one of the, for me, one of the great rewards of writing a book like this, of writing a full novel where you develop a character in, in great depth, is you get to be somebody, to, to feel them, feel their life, step into their life. Now, you initially decided to uh, write those characters back in 2021, way, way before the unfolding of the current events. Was that purely by coincidence or if not, how did that even happen? Yeah, yeah. There's a um, so I should explain in Cold Fear. It's set in Iceland, of course. Mm -hmm. and the main characters are are American, Finn, and but there's a, a an Icelandic. There's several Icelandic characters, but there's a Ukrainian woman who appears in the scene and who becomes a pretty central character, uh, Oksana and Oksana Shevchenko. And um, she talks about her parents being assassinated by, by, basically by, uh, by Moscow, by, by Russia. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, um, and she talks about Russia, and there, and there, it, it it evolves. This is not a huge spoiler alert, but it evolves in the story that there is a sort of a shadowy Russian character by the name of Petrov, who may or may not be be behind some huge and very heinous international bad doings. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we had it's not the it's not they're not the central characters of the plot, but we had the situation where we got this Ukrainian woman and this Russian villain, mm -hmm. and it was almost eerie for us. They had this book come out now. I mean, the first draft, the, the first draft was done, you know, almost a year ago, last August. Mm -hmm. And Russia hadn't invaded Ukraine. Yet. We we had no idea that this we would be living in the news that we're living now. Correct. Um, but these things do happen, you know, when it's you're writing about the world. Yeah. This is, it happens. You you, it, and honestly. Nico, I mean, it, it wasn't, it wouldn't have been that difficult to pick up the signals a year ago. It wasn't that difficult to pick up the signals 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Putin was, the way he was talking about, I once heard him on a news program talk about how the, the, the collapse of the Soviet Union was for him the great tragedy of the 20th century. And the way he said it, it's like you come away from that news program going, oh, I get it. This guy wants to bring it back. This is his agenda. He wants to, so, you know, the things that are going on today Mm -hmm. are maybe shocking and they may be awful, but they're hardly surprising if you if you've had your eye at all on on international situation. Now um, would that be a potential hint hint at the upcoming theme for the third book? Nah, no, no, nothing, not even not even remotely related. <laughs> not not going to Russia, not going to Ukraine, not going to not going to Europe, in fact. <laughs> Okay, just make whole sure. new environment. One of the one of the secrets, or one of the the. So I realize we don't have a lot of time left, but you know, part of the the challenge and the joy of mm -hmm. these novels is that there is a procedural element in every one of them. Mm -hmm. Procedural meaning, you know, like detective work. Mm -hmm. um, someone trying to figure something out, and what are the steps they go through? It's like you know, watching CSI. It's all it's all right. pure procedure. We're fascinated mm -hmm. by this stuff. So um, the procedural stuff is fun because. I have to figure it out while it's happening. And so I'm going right. through the same process the character's going through, which the reader mm -hmm. will go through. Mm -hmm. Cold fear, there's a whole procedural process. This detective, Krista, right. is, is trying to figure out several things. And there are several other procedural issues going on. So there's the procedural mystery side. 
Then there's the psychological interior side. Just Finn is on a personal quest that has to do with his past, recent past and distant past. He has mm -hmm. huge holes in his memory and he has huge traumas in his soul. And so there's this sort of whole psychological interior search that is another strand of the plot. And then there's this heinous plot. There's this awful, there, there's a murderer somewhere in, in this story. And there's some really, really bad stuff going on. And that, that of course, is, is a third thread mm -hmm. that, that threads through. All of that is colored by the characters and, and is all woven by the characters as they come to life. But there's one more ingredient, which is the environment. Interesting. And, and in Steel Fear, the whole thing took place in an air, aircraft carrier. It's like a steel tube the mm -hmm. size of the of the Empire State Building, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. laid on its side, oh, filled, filled with six thousand people, sealed and stuck on the water. Right? Oh my goodness! Nice, nice. So, cold fear. The environment is Iceland in the middle of winter, yeah. in a cold in a cold spell. So, in each of these books, um, we we come up with an environment, a claustrophobic environment that puts these strands of plot and these characters in this crucible. And then part of the fun and the challenge of the book is to describe that environment in such a way that you, the reader, absolutely feel like you are there. And, uh, and this, the same is true of, of uh, Cold Fear, of Reykjavik. When you come out of this book, my hope is, and my belief is, you're gonna know mm -hmm. a lot about Iceland. You're gonna feel like you've, like you've been to Iceland for weeks, like you really know this place. And uh, so book three will be a completely different environment. Now, just as a, a you know, <laughs> closing remarks, uh, what is the greatest fun that you have when you're creating these books? I think the greatest fun is solving problems. It's also, the, it's my go-to technique. Um, it, my go-to <laughs> technique when I'm stuck is to stop trying to write Mm -hmm. and start and look for the best questions to ask I pose myself questions and i and sometimes mm -hmm. what i'll do i'll come out of i, I tend to write for three hours in the morning 5 30 mm -hmm. or so in the morning until 8 30. I, I have this chunk of time where i focus on the book and then mm -hmm. i will do some more writing through the day but that's kind of like my sacred time mm -hmm. in that chunk of time i may not come up with anything other than a couple of key questions that i hadn't thought of before about my story that i need to be asking myself Mm -hmm. And then I'll just roll them around the back of my head. Uh, you know, they'll be there when I'm walking the dog or cooking breakfast or talking with my wife or do whatever I'm doing. And answers will start to, start to pop eventually. Formulating the question is, is the hard work for me. What's the most rewarding part? It's when little answers start to pop. I was like, oh, oh, it's like popcorn. I didn't see that coming. I didn't know that that was going to be the solution to this. How cool is that? All the discoveries that happen. Um, you know, can I give you one cool discovery that happened? In Steel Fear, um, when I, I started out writing a, a, a scene that happened mm -hmm. in Finn's childhood, where a terrible, terrible thing happened. Those of you who haven't read Steel Fear, I won't, I won't give it away. But he, he, uh, the, the book, the first draft originally opened with a scene in his childhood mm -hmm. where he goes through this horrifying experience. And in his mind, he's thinking about the tadpoles that he and his brother just saw at, at, mm -hmm. at a nearby pond. And these tadpoles become like monsters in his head. And um, he identifies this horrifying thing that's happened with 
with a swarm of billions of tadpoles swarming mm -hmm. in his brain. It's, it's a terrifying scene. I ended up cutting it out of the book and then moving it to much later in the book. And it still is in the book, but it's toward the end. Mm -hmm where Finn has been kind of haunted by this childhood distortion image of tadpoles. He, he pictures death as this large thing with no arms and legs, mostly head. And oh. It's a giant tadpole. So it, it, there's, there's a, 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 a ritual that they go through on naval ships crossing the line. When you cross over the equator, mm -hmm. that those sailors who've never crossed the equator before, they're like the initiates. And the older sailors who've done this before, they're they're the you know the tormentors, and it's like a hazing in a way. I mean, they they send them through tunnels and they beat them with hoses. They're not enough to you know do physical damage, but they spray them with foam and they they soak them. They do all kinds of you know ridiculous things. Um, but and, and I was going to have Finn have this revelation in the middle of that scene. While I was researching that that uh, that that ritual. I discovered that they call the experienced sailors shellbacks, like mm -hmm. tortoises. And the initiates, the new ones, they call polywogs. Pol They're tadpoles, man. They're tadpoles. I had no idea that when, when I created this trauma of fins that was that was typified by this swarm of babillion tadpoles, I had no idea that he was going to be in the middle of this ritual where tadpoles were being hazed and being pushed through a tunnel. And it's like when I when that dropped out of the sky, I tell you, Nico, I got such chills. I was like, "You have got to be kidding me! This is in the book, and it is. It's in the book." How do you, what do you do when you get the information? Do you do you speak it? Do you write it down? Do you do you do you type it up on your phone? How like you are you in the supermarket? Like and, and like, what do you do? Do you I grab do. a napkin? Do you write it on your palm? Like how do you how do you get that information so you don't all forget? the above. All the above. All I, all I, the above? I, well, no, not all the above. Any okay. of them. I scribble it down. I scribble some, some of the above, some of the above. I have a, I have a, a, a voice dictation. There's, there's a dozen of them, there's a million of them. I have a voice dictation app on my phone. And most days, if I'm out walking the dog, somewhere in, in the middle of that mile and a half, two mile walk, mm -hmm. I will pull out my phone and dictate something. Um, I, I sometimes sleep with a pad of paper by the bed, but not usually because most of the ideas I get in my sleep are just pure gibberish. <laughs> I look up in the morning, I go, you got to be kidding me. But, <laughs> but I do I do scribble things down on a pad. I, I scribble stuff in, in handwriting that's so illegible. I almost can't read it the next day. I, I do I do get it down because I do find it will it will fade away. And but, but the thing about that the thing I want to say, though, is the thing about the tadpoles and, and the polywogs and, and the shellbacks, that stuff happens all the time. I mean, it happens regularly when you when you're. It's so cool because you'll you'll find sudden con confluences, sudden vertexes coming together. You'll have mm -hmm. vectors that just converge in a point. You go, ah, oh, I had no idea this works so well, but it works even better than I imagined. And this is like it's like you feel like you're not writing this book you're just like a receptive radio tube and it's just being beamed at you from the universe is how it feels now for the, for a final question for those who have a hard time uh conforming to another person's perspective what would you say for that person who has a hard time uh listening to criticism or receiving critical feedback like you mentioned earlier that you had to take a few days to like sit there and just swallow it in and regurgitate yeah. it to somebody else before you were capable of accepting what they yeah. were giving to you. So what would you say to somebody who has a hard that's, time? Accepting that? That's a really, really great question. And you know, there's a preamble to it, which is 
there's also a way to give critique that's helpful and not so helpful. And one thing I found is there, I, I'm very picky about who I give a manuscript to. I have a small circle of friends that I, mm-hmm. that I trust. Um, the way to give, in my for me, the way to give critique is first single out what you loved about the thing. <laughs> Start with the positive. So here are all the things that, are, that I just think are phenomenal. And mm-hmm. then follow that with, okay, here's some, here some places where I had red flags or where I wasn't sure or where I got lost or, and, you know, don't, and always try to make it personal. Like here's where I got lost or here's where I wasn't sure or here's where mm-hmm. it wasn't clear to me, as opposed to, I don't think that works. That sucks. That guy character is unbelievable. You know, try to couch it that way because you are, you are dealing with, with the sensitive underbelly real, of, of another, another human being. But to your question, how do you receive this? You know, there are two sort of faculties that you need to to constructively absorb good critique. They're opposite and you need them both. Mm -hmm. One of them is you have to have open mindedness to the other person's critique. You have to have an open mind Mm -hmm. to understanding that, that this other person may be seeing something that you can't see right now. Interesting. But the other faculty is you have to have a rock solid belief in what you're doing that is mm-hmm. you need to you need to know like your feet are 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 anchored like oak roots down in the center down. of the earth yeah. it's right 10 miles down you need to know that there's a there's a great story in here there's a there's a great story in here i may not have hit the vein yet i may not have quite tapped it yet but i am on the way mm-hmm. i'm getting i'm digging i'm going for it exactly. and it, it's here and it's great. And when I get it, when I get it extracted, when I get it fully formed, it is going to be phenomenal. You have to believe in the value of what you have to say, because if you don't believe in the value of, of the extraordinary value of what you have mm-hmm. to say, then it's really hard to take critique because it's like it, it's just going to knock you down. You're like a tree with no roots. So I, I, you know, you almost have to have an arrogance no, you about do. your writing. And along with, I like to say, you have to have the arrogance of a teenager and the humility of a Buddhist monk. Ooh, right? that's a good combination right there. And you need them both because just the arrogance of the teenager, you're never going to get anywhere near your potential because you will cling to what you first wrote as being as good as you think it is. And it's not, it never is. Ooh. So you need that Buddhist monk to say, I am an open page. I am a blank sheet of paper, please. Give me your experience. Tell me what you think. Yeah. You don't take every crit- crit- critique, by the way. Um, you don't. You don't listen to. You don't follow everything that the person tells you. You don't. I, I have ed- had editors tell me things that I was like, I don't think so. I don't. I don't agree with that. And I've had right. things that they wanted me to change that I did not change, and and it, it, I was proven right. So it is. And the other thing is, frequently, a, an editor can tell you what needs to be fixed but they cannot spell out for you exactly how to fix it. That's going to be, that's going to be up to you. The right direction kind of thing. Or like, they're just like, Hey, flashlight, this is where you need to focus your attention on this sentence here, or this idea, this character, this, this concept, this paragraph. Or if you can find, find some way to bring this part in earlier, but I can't tell you exactly where or exactly what it should look like or exactly how you should say it. But mm-hmm. I just feel like the pacing is, is, is off and you need to do it or whatever. But yeah, but the ultimate solution is going to be yours. Mm-hmm. But they, they, they 
probably are seeing something that you can't yet see. And so think so, of them so, as your your guides, your Sherpas. So if it's not somebody that's giving you that mental, that gentle nudge in the right direction, you're essentially saying you need to get a new editor. Uh, well, you need you need to have a really great editor. But I'll, I'll just give you one example. The, the I took uh, Steel Fear, the first book. Mm -hmm. I took it to a story consultant before we had a publisher, before we, our agent even saw it, before anybody saw it. I took it to a story consultant and paid her 1200 bucks, you know, a really good story consultant to do a complete workup on the book. So tell me, mm -hmm. lay it all out. The good, the bad, the ugly. Tell me what you like. Tell me what you hate. Tell me what I should do. I, I'm, I'm new at this. I've never written a novel before. And she did. She came back and she told me what was fantastic. And mm -hmm. she told me what did not work at all. And there was a ton that didn't work at all. All of which I changed, except she thought the ending was wrong. And um, that, that, you know, one character gets the bad guy and she thought it should have been another character who got the bad guy. And she mm -hmm. said, this, this definitely does not work the way it is. You, you absolutely definitely need to change this. And she was definitely absolutely not right. She was wrong. <laughs> I kept it the way it was. I didn't change that. And it was the right decision. Right. So even the best editors, We'll, we'll give you, they'll give you your 100% and there will be 95% or 92% um, that, that is useful to you. There will always be a couple percent and there will always be some points that will go. It's like the 80-20, 80% 80 of what they say, 20% yeah. it's like, eh, that's your own opinion. It's it's like that, something like that. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I find that to be true. And it, it takes... It takes trusting your own judgment and, and time, sifting it through over time. You need to entertain 100% of what they say. Consider it. Consider it as an option. And then ultimately, you, you decide where you go. Well, thank you so much, John, David, Man, JDM, for being here. I just want to give you the opportunity to let everybody know where they can find your materials, your books, and anything else uh, that you want them to find about you. Good idea. I'll say three things. First, my, I have a website, which is me, johndavidman.com. It's my name. You see it right here on the screen, johndavidman.com. All my books are there. Um, however, the, the new book called Fear there has its own website, which there is some cool stuff on this site. Um, there isn't yet, as you and I speak, Nico, but there will be within a week, uh, mm -hmm. a page on, on the Cold Fear site uh, with our book tour, because Brandon and I are going to go on the road and do a bunch of uh, bookstores around the country, as well as some virtual events. We're mm -hmm. doing a virtual event with, with Brad Thor. We're doing a virtual event with Robert Crace. Um, we're going to be in stores from coast to coast. And the the website for Cold Fear is simply coldfearthebook.com. Coldfearthebook.com. And the third thing I'll say is that I've just started reading. I'm reading one chapter a day of Cold Fear on my Instagram account. So if you want, if you if you want to hear me read Cold Fear, at least the first 31 chapters. Um, I'm reading a chapter a day and putting them up on my Instagram account, which is simply at John David Mann. And now do you, you're using your like Instagram reels or videos? Or Instagram like... videos, Instagram videos. Yeah. They're like anywhere between five and 10 minutes per chapter. They're short. So like four or five, six minutes is your typical chapter. I'm no. doing one, doing one a day. Nice. Well, you guys heard him, check him out, make sure to like comment and subscribe. And as always, if you guys have, you know, any ideas about how we can improve, let us know. Once again, John, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for, uh, you know, being flexible enough with that uh, sudden, you know, uh, 
extra, you know what I'm saying? I think that was one of the uh the bridge game, yeah. Yeah, it was four of us there. That was that was a surprise. <laughs> that, yeah, I think that was one of the best episodes we've ever had, one of the best surprises we've ever had. So thank you so much. And you know, uh thank you for giving us all this amazing, amazing behind the scenes on how you created, um, how you dedicate yourself writing three hours a day um in order to be able to uh create this with uh Brandon and you know utilizing all your resources possible all your mind your focus your energy in order to uh, create this masterpiece and uh pretty much anything else that you're starting to do it's like now you're starting to have that uh, Midas touch because now you know exactly what needs to be done you're capable of listening to <laughs> objections the critical you're capable of you know sliding you know like uh negating the positivity until it's time to you know deliver the finished product so I've learned so much and I could keep going. You could keep going. So I think we're just going to have to wrap this up here. So thank you so much. And we're both calling from Massachusetts. So that makes me even happier too. So hey man. cool. Yeah. All right. Other than Appreciate that, the conversation, man. Thank you so much. This has been a blast.